ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Essential 11. As always, this is sponsored by Acton Academy. Look, it's uh, you know it's no secret I own Acton Academy plaster, so I'm definitely biased. But the reality is, uh, you know, if you are anywhere near an Acton Academy, do yourself a favor and just check it out. It is uh, you know we had a great discussion on the forum, owners forum, the other day about. Uh, this being not revolutionary, but evolutionary. It's the way we are meant to continue to grow and, and just use what is useful. And that's what acting academies are doing around the world. So uh, do yourself a favor and, and check them out and see if there is anybody near you. Uh, super pumped about today's guest. So uh, we've got David Green, and he and I had some mutual friends. Um, we got connected, but if you don't know who he is, he's a former police officer, co-host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. He's also the author of the best-selling books, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, Buy Rehab, Rent, Refinance, and Repeat. I learned about that from him. It's called the Burr Method, uh, and also the book Sell Your Home for Top Dollar. So David is passionate about helping others build wealth through real estate, and he runs the blog greenincome.com, and that's green with an E at the end of it, so greenincome.com. He's a nationally recognized authority on real estate, and David has been several times on CNN and Forbes, HGTV, over 25 different real estate podcasts, and David runs the David Green Team, which is a top-producing real estate company in Keller Williams, where he himself has won multiple awards for production and, and uh, teaching agents how to excel in building their business. So as an active real estate investor, David owns single-family properties around the country, and he shares uh, in apartment complexes, notes, and shares in note funds. The man is a wealth of information and not just about real estate. Um, you know, He takes these lessons that he has learned and just absolutely applies them in life in general, man. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from Mr. David Green. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good. It's actually good, Friday. I got a busy weekend planned for me. Business has been picking up. I started working out again. So like you're hitting me one of those times where you're on like the uphill swing, you know? Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you know what it's like because you're not always on that uphill swing. You're yeah, often... That's exactly right. That's yeah, exciting, I... man. Cool to hear about that. Uh, I want to hear about the workout too, man. That's a, uh, that's a big deal. And we got to chat. I don't even know if you remember, but we got to chat a little bit about that when you were here too and, and uh, some of the workout stuff. So that's one thing that I didn't put in the intro though mm. that I want to um, make a comment on. You know, we, we got connected right through mutual, kind of some mutual friends and, mm -hmm. and kind of running in some similar circles. And uh, so, you know, we had, we had David out here for, uh, for an event um, a couple of months ago and, and you were uh, giving some advice to people around, you know, in, in, in your field. And it was cool for me to see as somebody that gets paid to speak, I get paid to go on, on stage and, and uh, to watch you walk in, you're like, Hey, I don't know what the, what the PowerPoint is going to say, but it doesn't matter. I'll just roll with it. And it was cool to just watch a master at his craft, mm. you know, and I very much appreciated that from a presenter's standpoint, you know, forget the fact that we had people who had driven three, four, five hours just to come hear you talk about, you know, what it is you talk about, but I'm um, watching you do that, man. So I just wanted to commend you on that. Cause I don't think I got to tell you that night. So that was super impressive for me. Well, thanks, Matt. I, yeah, um, big deal. I, it can sound like 
well, David didn't prepare, so he doesn't take this serious, right? But I liken it to, if you're in like martial arts, you can learn a kata, which is like a series of strikes or moves that that martial art would teach. And you, yep. you memorize the sequence of it and you show that you can perform those moves. But that is 100% different than being able to handle yourself in combat, where you have to choose in a moment, what is the right tool for this situation and how do I execute it? And you know that you've really mastered a martial art when you can be in a free-flowing fluid situation and reach into whatever your tool belt pull whatever tool you need for that situation anyone can recognize a kata and i think a lot of people get um they get a false sense of security because they've memorized answers to questions or they they've heard other people say it a hundred times so they just repeat it back but that doesn't mean that they know how to handle themselves in the situation and when you when you're really a black belt you can get up there and talk about whatever it is you're talking about because you know it that good it's almost a sign that you know you're in the right place when you don't have to be as prepared and you can wing it you know every professional athlete everybody goes out there with a plan right and then you actually get in the game and whatever's inside of you is what's going to come out that's bingo and that's and that's beautiful and i love that you likened it to sports too because that's the analogy that i use quite a bit i was an athlete right and, and it's the exact same thing you can prepare and i knew guys you know i grew up as a competitive martial artist and competitive fighter and oh i didn't know that that's perfect yeah, analogy. So, yeah <laughs> so i had nine fights in the cage before it became like a, a as big of a sport as it is you know it was some sketchy some sketchy venues but and you know a lot of guys that were you know prepared they would be phenomenal in the gym because they knew how to do stuff on the bag and then as soon as you get there and you've got to you've got to respond to that guy that's going to actually punch you back um, oh yeah. You know, it just oh. changes. It changes everything. It's changes funny. We everything. started here. It doesn't, it it's changes so everything to such a degree that it almost is like a different sport. I would almost say, right? Agreed. Like the place your mind is in when you are practicing and training versus for you, who's actually been in a cage. I was a police officer, so I got in scraps right. all the time. And right. you know, the, the stuff that they trained me to prepare me for that, it, there's some use to it. The muscle memory that I've developed, the way that I respond came from the training, but it is, it's not even close. You could be really good on the mat practicing and then you get in there and your brain has to operate and process information completely different and i'm sure you you'd recognize the same business is like that you may know exactly what you're going to say in your presentation to this client and then you get in front of them and they are completely different than what you thought and they, they don't care about what you have to say maybe they're not even paying attention and you have to do something that you weren't preparing and recognize in the moment that that's what's needed to to win that's exactly, dude, that is exactly it. So I've been, you know, I'd been speaking for many years and, and a lot of those were presentations, right? They're presentations on stage. And so you've got a thousand people, 2000 people in the, in the audience. And mm -hmm. so there's inherently not a ton of interaction for a lot of that. So you're just going through it. You, you've got your presentation prepared, but then I went from that and I've got, you know, the top 10, 12 executives for American Eagle, right? And we're just in this small boardroom and I got what I think I'm going to say, and what I think is going to provide value to their business. And as we start diving in, the hold on a second, you know, the questions, here's the questions we have. Tell us this. And that's when you figure out if you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's when you, that's when you know, you know, and, and so I love that you, you talked about that's the, the, the preparation is in all the years ahead of time. It wasn't for that one slideshow. It was all the years in advance. That's what people were paying. That's what people go to experts for. They've got those years, you know, and that's why I love speakers now. I see a lot of speakers on the circuit. The really, really good ones are now going more towards where we'll build some Q&A in on the back end because we're comfortable enough to know that we're going to provide so much individual value mm. to the attendees on that back end part. And, you know, and that's another thing that I want to commend you for too because not only did you provide value 
on the stage itself. But then when you got off the stage too, you took the time to walk outside and say, hey, what other questions do you guys have on a one-on-one -on -one basis? And you took all those questions as well. And um, I also don't see people do that a lot too. So I definitely commend you for that. And so that was awesome. I think I usually get the highest praise from the Q&A at the end because it's 100%. unscripted and they're throwing it at you. And when I pick my mentors that I'm going to learn from, mm -hmm. I look for that. I don't need the guy that can make a polished video and someone edits it. And I won't, I won't name any names, but there's a lot of these Instagram wannabes that, that call themselves entrepreneurs yeah. and put really nice cars in their videos and they talk like they're really smart. And all they did was copy other people's statements. If you ever actually had to pin that person down and say, hey, here's my problem at business, what do I do? They wouldn't know. What to tell you? That's exactly it. They're really good at parent uh, parroting. They've yep. never actually done it, and that's the point of this entire thing, right? Does this podcast exist to say, "Hey, look, let's get out of the the theory"? You know, I, I'm I'm one of the most outspoken critics of critics of academia, and again, that's somebody who was working in higher ed. I have mm -hmm. graduate degrees, but there are so many people there, and admittedly, they're brilliant, but they've never actually done anything. They're theorizing. They've never actually played. I don't want to hear somebody theorize about basketball. I want to watch Michael Jordan play basketball and somebody that's done it. And that's exactly the same kind of thing. So I love that you said that. Then, you know, and part of what you said too, and that actually leads right into to the first question very well. You know, said so you've got people that, that you look up to and that's actually the first question. So one of the first questions we fielded from everybody um, you know, that we surveyed was, okay, we've got these operators. You're obviously showing us that these people are, are great people to listen to. Who are the people that they are listening to? So for David Green, you know, one, one, two, three, kind of who are your mentors? And when I ask this, I always give the caveat, um, you know, as you got kind of your board of directors in your mind, um, this can be somebody that is influencing you right now, somebody that's deceased, somebody that's alive, somebody that's real, somebody that's fake. Um, you know, I know I have people in my board of directors that are theoretical care, you know, characters out of a book. So yep. how about for you? Who, who are somebody that inspires you? Number one, and this will sound cheesy, but just hear me out, is Jesus, right? Everybody yeah. throws that one out there because sure, it's kind of sure. like, oh, how do you argue with someone who says yeah. like Jesus, right? It's a catch-all. Yes. Yeah. But for the purpose of this question, the reason that I would use him as a role model is he's someone who understood the law of the time better than anyone else. It says when he was a kid, like 11, 12 years old, he was instructing grown men that had been studying this their whole life and knew it at a deeper level than them. So he was the academia expert at 12. Okay. Yeah. And he then said, and all of that means nothing. It's how you apply it. That really matters. So you would see him actually applying what the spirit of the law was and the way he served people. And he was tested when people would come throw questions at him that were intended to get him in a bad spot. Right. So the, the, the people of the Pharisees at the time were constantly saying, Hey, uh, let me think of an example about like, Hey, uh, Jesus would say to them, if I heal this guy, who here is going to be irritated by it? Because it was the Sabbath. And healing was technically considered a right. doctor's work. So you weren't allowed to do work on the Sabbath. And the, right. the letter of the law would have said you shouldn't do it or how they interpreted it. Um, and he knew that if, if I heal them, heal this guy, they're all going to be angry at me because I broke the Sabbath. But if I don't heal this guy, then I'm an uncompassionate person who doesn't understand the heart of God. Right. And, and there was always opportunities where they were trying to pin him down and get, make him look bad in front of other people to lose credibility. And he flipped it around every single time. That was a person who knew how to operate in the space, who didn't just memorize the information that was fed to him. That's it. That's why he, just for that specific reason yeah. that you could catch him or you could throw him into the moment, hot seat, and he always was able to handle himself. He's, exactly. And that goes back to obviously the self-confidence that he had in what he was doing too, right? I mean, that is, yep. that is a big 
that is a big part of whether you believe in that as a deity or not. I don't, I, you know, exactly. I never get into that with, with people where they come from on that. The reality is understanding that he was going to do what he knew the right thing was period. Yep. No matter what the response was. And by the way, the response is almost universally not going to be popular for what I have to say or what I'm going to do, Yep. but I'm going to go ahead and do that anyways. You know, and we talk about that. I mean, we talk about that at Acton all the time. The kid, it's like, look, the right thing is always the right thing. And oh, by the way, a lot of times it's not the popular thing. Yes. But it's still going to be the right thing. That's going to remain constant. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And, and doing the right thing enough times in a row will lead you to be successful. Bingo. It will it will make your life harder in the process of it, but it will lead you to be more successful. Bingo. In fact, a lot of the people that hide behind the theory of it, that don't actually put themselves out there where they could ever get exposed, is specifically because they're trying to avoid that it makes life harder when you have to go do it. And that, that might be a good segue into my second character, right? So another, so what I would say a mentor would be, would be Bruce Lee. I've always been fascinated by that guy's life. Now, I don't have a martial arts background like you, right? I, I taught cops defensive tactics. So I learned the things that we were trained and I would teach that to other police, but that's completely different than like leveling up through a belt system and the repetition that you would have put into it. Yep. But I really admired Bruce Lee because he instructed people. He was a teacher. He taught, he was one of the first person that taught Americans from what I understand, like that yep. version of Kung Fu. But he wasn't hiding behind just the instruction. You know, a lot of dojos where the grandmaster comes in and he practices on a student that has to make that guy look good. He never gets in a real fight. Bruce Lee was, was testing what he learned yep. to see if it worked and was humble enough that if you caught him, he was okay to get knocked out because he then went back and said, yeah, I guess that wasn't the best way. How do I do it better? So he's this awesome embodiment of mastering your craft mixed with humility put together that creates the guy who comes up with the very best system. So good. So good. And, and because of that, because he was able to speak from that experience and the self-confidence of putting himself out there, he, he learned life lessons that just continue. You know, the best philosophies are the ones that you end up ultimately being, you know, you hear them being repeated over and over and over again down. Right. So he remember, I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks. I, I, I fear, fear the man who's practiced kick, one, one kick, kick 10,000 10, times. times. Right? That's my Which, favorite course, quote. It's beautiful. And then now what do we got? We got Malcolm Gladwell, who's like, look, 10,000 hours. That's yep. mastery, right? It's the same concepts. You see these over and over again. And again, that's one of the biggest goals with, with this podcast, with the people we bring into acting is I want the young people to see the patterns. Yep. The patterns don't change, Yep. you know, and it's those things. So, and Bruce is an embodiment of that, man. He had so much experience that he brought so much wisdom of that, you know, talking about being like water and just. Yes. Adapting to. Him. And yeah, and and discard. You know, he's uh, talking about taking everything in, keeping what is useful, discarding what is not. You know, and creating his own hero's journey in that way. I think you know a lot of people don't maybe don't realize what a brilliant human being he really mm -hmm. was. Too. And it took courage to be that way. He took yeah. a, like we just said, yep. he did what he thought was the right thing. He taught Americans a, a Chinese martial art. Yeah. He took a lot of heat. He was he was like excommunicated from a lot of that that culture because he was willing to teach americans this trait and he didn't get a credit from a lot of the people that i'm sure he wanted their approval as that good of a martial artist specifically because of it but he believed it was right and he did it my favorite story about bruce lee is i mean you might know the details better than me but there was another guy who was in california who was supposed to be the best teacher there was bruce lee and him end up in a fight i don't know who challenged who yeah. but bruce lee wins the fight 
and is mad at himself because it took him longer than he thought it should have. Yep. So he just beat the best of the best, the best there was. He could have sat there and celebrated himself and said, all of you give me glory. And instead, he wasn't comparing himself to other people. He was comparing him to the best version of himself. He and he I said, done better. yeah, I could have beat that guy if I was better. I need to go remake my system, remake how I do things so that I'm more efficient so I can beat him faster because I know that's what my potential is. And you will never, ever become an arrogant person if you're always comparing yourself to the best version of yourself. Arrogance comes when you look around everybody else and you say, oh, I'm better than you and I'm better than you and I'm better than you. Yeah. And that's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's absolutely it. It's the ultimate humility check. Yeah, really that's a very good point. Yeah, and I try to remind myself of that all the time. That is the key to me never becoming too arrogant or too big-headed from the success I've had. Yep. As long as I look at, well, what's the best version of David? Oh, my God, I'm miles away from that, right? And then I feel how far off I am from where I could be, and it's easy to not get big-headed. It's when I start seeing the other people around me and comparing myself to them and I'm doing better that I'm in danger of like losing, losing myself. That's exactly it. It's keeping the voice. The only voice that's in here is your voice. There you go. That's it. Very good. Both both the good and the bad. It doesn't matter. Neither one of those, both the only voice is what's going on in there. I love that, man. I love that. All right, cool. And then my third person would be, we just interviewed him on my podcast on Bigger Pockets. This was my favorite interview I've ever done. I still like, I'm just grateful that I got to talk to him and it was Jocko Willink. Oh, yeah. Love Jocko. Jocko, man, how would I describe how awesome that human being is? He's one of the few people I've met that I left and thought I want to be more like him, right? He gives you that vision of, oh, that's what I want in life. I want to be like that guy. And I noticed um, Jocko is so comfortable in his own skin because he's been through so many hard things and he's had to find out, well, how am I going to handle this situation when, when all my clients want me to do something unethical or when everyone else in business is doing something wrong, am I going to do it too? Or am I going to be willing to lose it all to do the right thing? He's done that so many times that he's extremely comfortable knowing who he is and what he believes. It's almost like his core values are a part of him. You can't really separate his personality from his core values, if that makes any sense. A lot of us, that's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of very charismatic people are very separated from their core values. Yeah. You know, yeah. you take like a, a lot of politicians, that's how they get ahead is they, uh, they come across as so appealing and so yep. charismatic. You don't actually know what they really believe. You can't tell. And when you're around Jocko, you catch yourself saying something because you want him to think that you're smart yeah. and he, he doesn't take the bait. He, he's not rude to you, but yeah. he'll just, okay. And you realize, oh, I didn't get the reaction I wanted. Yeah, why did I care so much? I was trying to impress him. That was stupid of me. Yep. Why do I need to impress him, right? Yeah. And, you, and he knows you did it, and he just won't judge sure. you for it, sure. right? That was what I loved about the way he was is he did it. I, I recognize things about myself I didn't like, which the best people in life will do. They're like a mirror that shows this is your weaknesses, these are your flaws so that you can yeah. go be better, right? Uh, but I didn't ever feel like he was trying to think he was better than me because of that. And I, I walked away thinking, I want to have that impact on people. I hope that when people come up and they're like, oh my gosh, it's David Green, and I don't respond to it, that they go, yeah, he's just a guy. Why did I get so right. amped up? That's it. And I think that is, you know, I look at that as, as, um, you know, we talk about the, the self-improvement and, and people trying to better themselves. And it's something, you know, I hear every once in a while, I was like, ah, you know, ultimately that ends up being a selfish, you know, that's a selfish goal. That's a selfish pursuit. And, and that is my, I think that would be my argument as to why it's so not what you just said right there. Jocko is so comfortable in his own skin and who he is because he's continued to, he's been in so many of those battles, right? That what happens is he instantly elevates the life of people around him that's the yes. ultimate. i mean that's leadership 
Yeah. And honestly, I feel like there's not a lot of people that make me feel that way. So I'm very grateful that Jocko did go through what he went through because it now provides the blessing that I needed to where I'm like, oh, I needed that vision. I want to be like him. And every day as I face the challenges that day brings me, I'm doing it with the goal that I want to end up like that guy. Yeah. Right. So he's, yeah, he's a huge mentor to so many people that he will never even meet. And I mean, is there a better way to live your life than to know that I didn't even have to talk to you to have impacted you? That's a big deal. That's legacy. I mean, that is the definition of legacy and it's why he's qualified to, to have the books that he he just got the number one, he's got the number one bestseller on leadership right now as he should. Yeah. Cause the man is, the man is living it and that, and I will be, um, you know, I'm very similar to you and I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with a number of people and uh, I don't, you know, I pride myself on the fact that I don't fanboy uh, yeah. uh, people. I just don't. Um, and I think everybody, if I meet a five, if I've got five-year-olds here on campus, I fully, I'm fully aware I can learn just as much from him or her as I'm going to from somebody else. Right. So I don't have that. Jocko's one that I'd be interested to see how, I react. <laughs> how that it just holds up to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't it was know, just like man. that for me too. Yeah. I told I, myself, ah, oh, it's just another guy. But yeah. then when I'm looking at him, I'm like, like oh, Jocko. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can totally, I can totally see that. And if I'm honest, man, um, you know, I've got, we've got the Bodros 11 rules in our household. That's our family rules, right? We've got them. Um, you know, framed and put up on there, but there is one rule and it's rule number nine in our house. Uh, and it came directly from him. It's the only one that I can tie back directly to a specific human being, the exact words that he said, you know, and it actually plays into one of our, um, our questions later on too. So yeah, too funny, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Great threats. I mean, I don't know if we're going to find three better people. That was great. Um, a common thread, obviously, from for for all three of those people, for operators that we're having on, you know, obviously you included, uh, is self confidence, and that is something that, um, you know, I always tell our parents here: self confidence is the curriculum, right? Self confidence and self awareness—that's what we are trying to build. Mm. Everything else trickles down from that. It doesn't start academia here and trickle down from there. And you know, it was great to see this be overwhelmingly. Um, one of the biggest questions that, you know, the groups that we polled had to say. So, you know, we talk about self-confidence as bringing kind of being this practical, this attainable skill. So the questions that they're asking are what, what are specific habits or a habit that you've adopted uh, in order to either maintain or increase your own self-confidence? So it is just, you know, David Green's yeah. head, uh, yeah. the only voice you're hearing in there. Well, a lot of people will tell you, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, get out of your comfort zone. And that is very good advice. I don't like that type of advice to give because it's just too easy to say it. And I, people that hear it aren't sure how to do that. Yeah. Right. Like I like to get more specifics. And one of the ways that I accomplish what you described, so I, I would define for myself what is self-confidence. To me, it would be when I feel comfortable and in control in situations where uh, either it's very high risk or I don't have a lot of control over what's being thrown at me. So an example would be as a cop, when you're new, you don't know what you don't know. You're, you're going to contact a suspect. In your head, you're picturing 200 different things that he could do and you only know how to handle two of them. So what you experience is a lot of anxiety and worry. And then as you do it enough times, you start to develop self-confidence. But what I'm really developing is if he does A, I will do B. And there's a calmness. Like, I just don't worry about what he could do because I know I'm equipped for it. And we would develop that by playing the what if game. 
And you would just constantly say, what would I do if that car in front of me just immediately ran off the road and crashed into a pole and three guys got out with guns and started running? I, I don't know what I would do, right? And I'd start thinking, okay, well, the first thing I'd have just put out a description of the car. Do I know the license plate? Nope, I should memorize that license plate. And now my brain's been being trained. Look at every license plate of a suspicious car and know at least the first four digits so that I can get that out to dispatch. And people would say that sounds paranoid, but what it did was it started to build my confidence that when things get sprung on me that I'm not expecting, I can react to it. Right. And most of life, you don't control. You don't know when the phone call is going to come saying your parent has cancer or your kid is in, is in really big trouble or someone's been kidnapped, God forbid, you can't control what comes at you. And when you don't have confidence to handle things that you can't control, you tend to hide from opportunity. You try to create a very small world. Uh, you end up not growing. And that's why you don't get out of your comfort zone because you don't trust that you can handle yourself once you're out of it. And that's like what you did. If you were actually so nine times, you said you got in a cage with another person and didn't know what he was going to do. That forced you to build self-confidence. Right. There was no cheating it. There was no studying and memorizing answers to the test. There was no, you knew more or less, yeah, I want to try to keep this guy from taking me down. But once you got in there, your brain might not have even remembered that. It was adapting to what it saw. And you do that enough times and you start to develop this quiet confidence that whatever life throws at me, I will, I will handle it and I will grow. And uh, when it comes to things like specifically speaking to people or answering questions, I would just answer, I would have conversations in my head with human beings that have no idea I've done it. I have to have a difficult conversation with the girl I'm dating to explain, hey, I don't think we're right for each other, yeah. right? I don't just wait until I'm in front of him and blurt it out and then run away because that would be scary, <laughs> right? I'm anticipating how is she going to feel? What is she going to think? Yeah. Is she going to blame herself? She will. Okay, how do I make I reassure her that it wasn't her and I take the blame on myself? So that when you get into the situation, you appear smooth, but it's just because you rehearsed it over and over. And I wish more people would take responsibility for those types of things in life. Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've, that I've ever, so I've always taken the approach of fully understanding the experience is always the best teacher. The self-confidence is going to be developed by actually getting up there yeah, and doing it. Taking right. action. Exactly. So I was on my way to, you know, uh, one or two of the keynotes earlier this, earlier this week and a gentleman on the plane says, man, how do you get over stage fright? I'm like, you know what, at this point, I mean, uh, you know, I've done it so, so many times that's not there. I'm just, I'm literally just there to provide value. But at the beginning, you know, I would, I'd play through my mind, hey, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And okay, if this happens, how am I going to handle it? And it's that what if game, you're training your mind, I love that you put it that way. And you're tr literally training your mind for something that you haven't experienced yet, but you're yeah. putting yourself in the scenario where now I feel like I have experienced it. And I love that you kind of labeled it because I, I don't even, you know, necessarily consciously, am I even aware that because I've done that forever. I, I do that same thing. I will rehearse those conversations over and over again, sometimes yeah. in the shower before I go to bed, yep. whatever. And it just preps. So when it happens, it's like, man, I've already done this. That's why I look comfortable giving a PowerPoint presentation that I haven't seen the info on before. Yep. The what if game I've played. I've talked, how am I going to explain this concept to someone? It's why I use so many analogies. I get teased about being the analogy guy. But if I want you to understand something you've never heard before, I have to put it in a context that your brain already does get and just build sure. on that. For sure. And as an educator, I appreciate that. I mean, that is one thing that we naturally use with it. When you're trying to explain a concept to a five-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old, <laughs> if they've never experienced it, yeah. you know, you've got to figure out a story that they're aware of and, and you got to say, look, this is what we're talking about. And it works every time. You know, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of storytelling and going back to, you know, the people that, 
you look at as mentors, one of the other things all three of them have in common is they're all great storytellers. They're able to tell a story and they're able to bring you into their point of view and relate to you in that way, you know? So yeah. Have you read pitch anything by Oren Clough before? I have not. What was the name? I love pitch anything. Pitch anything. Yeah, I didn't like the name of it, so I didn't read it for a long time because it sounds like you're trying to pitch something, right? But it's this guy whose job was to basically go and talk to uh, panels of very high net worth, powerful people, and get them to invest in whatever company hired him to pitch their product, which is a easy place to lose your confidence when you go into that. And he would have to study how the human brain perceives information and what makes it hold attention and what makes it scares it off right away to come up with a science of how I can get my point into your brain so that you hear it the way I want. And it's a brilliant book because he's teaching you, this is how brains process information. This is like this concept of frame control, which is the ability to get someone to see the world from your perspective is a skill, right? So when we say things to people like, you got to be able to sell yourself, sell everything. Sell has a really negative connotation. Nobody likes this idea of selling, right? But if it's, you need to be able to influence people to see what you want them to see and understand your point. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. And that's what selling is. It's getting them to realize what you're seeing. And, and, and you, you get good at that by playing the, the what if game to me, right? Yeah. That that thing happens. I'm not expecting it. All right. So I, I confronted this suspect in this area and he took off running that way and I couldn't catch him. What if I was standing on this side? So we had nowhere to run. He went into the wall. I just made myself feel a little bit better. Yeah. Now my gut is relaxed a little bit when I contact him, right? It feels, all I would know is it felt wrong if I tried to contact him in open space, but I didn't know why. Yeah. And, and then you, you pick up these things from, like you said, taking action and doing stuff. And what happens is you start to feel in control and not anxious. And that is the confidence. That's now it. I'm more likely to contact more people. Now my brain gets more repetitions. Now I, I'm experiencing more situations I haven't seen. The more experiences that I put in that database of what's going on, the more calm that I feel. Okay. And, and, and just if that was everyone's goal from the time they were young, or even if they're just hearing this right now for the first time, is take what you feel nervous about and ask yourself, well, what would I need to feel comfortable? What would I have to understand? You can almost write a blueprint for what you got to go learn. Yep. What can I control? What are the controllables that I can control? And then how do I continue to map that out? And you can say, yeah, I think that's, I think that's phenomenal, man. I think that what if game is, is beautiful. And I kind of want to um, you know, again, the educator brain, man, I almost want to kind of map something out like that, that I can give to, to my kids to, to walk them through that. I think that's super valuable stuff. I love that. Um, you know, in this place, again, right into the next question too. talking about self-confidence, one of the biggest things that are, it's plaguing, uh, our youth that everybody's very worried about. And I, and I, when I talk to the, when I say they're worried about it, you know, from my conversations with these kids, and again, we're looking 13 to 22 ish, we're seeing this epidemic of, of mental health. And that's kind of this scary overarching concept for a lot of them. And I think a lot of them are, are just scared because it's something that's really just not necessarily defined for them. It comes out and manifests itself in so many different ways. So there's a lot of these kids that are going, man, I'm, um, you know, I'm very, I'm stressed. I've got a lot of anxiety. Does that mean I've got some sort of mental health issue? Is that something that, you know, and I think this what if game can kind of play into alleviating some of that anxiety. So, but any other, um, any other quick tips for overcoming anxiety, man, this, we really have been kind of going into this, but kind of yeah, look at anxiety or the positive state of, you know, keeping this positive state of mind, so to speak. I don't like people that say I want all the good out of life and I want to avoid the bad. I just don't like that mentality where you say, I like to feel happy. I don't like to feel upset. Right. Um, it, like anyone, anytime you've dated somebody who only wants to talk to you when everything's happy and rosy and doesn't want to deal with conflict, those relationships never work out. Like sure. conflict does not have to be a For negative sure. thing. 
Yep. There's a there's a, a line in the Matrix. I love the Matrix movies. There's a oh, lot of good man. lines in there. I, I think you. I love you even more than <laughs> I'd say. There's so so many things there. He's he's fighting the guy that protects the keymaker. Yeah. And uh, they get in this really big cool fight. And at the end, the the guy he's fighting just stops and goes and opens the door. And he says, "I had to make sure you were the one." Yes. And he said, "You you could have just asked." Like yes, the only kind of reach can say, totally. right? <laughs> and he says, "You never really know a man until you fight him." Yeah. Right. And there's this concept that you can't see what's really inside somebody until they're squeezed and pressured. And there's like a fight. It doesn't have to be a physical fight. It could be any form of conflict. It could be a yeah. debate. It could be an argument. And, and I heard someone say really simply, like, what do you get if you squeeze an orange? You get orange juice. Orange what do you juice. get if you squeeze a grape? You get grape. So what am I going to get if I squeeze you? Right. That. And that conflict squeezes you. It's what brings something out of you. Yeah. And so, so I say all that to say, I don't like the whole anxiety is bad. Um, happiness is good. So avoid anything that makes you feel bad. Anxiety serves a purpose. Pain serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and I would classify anxiety as a form of pain. There's many different kinds of pain, but they all go in the same category, right? Yep. So in, in pain is to tell you something is wrong. This is not the way you were created to work. Okay. I say something that hurts your feelings or you say something that hurts mine or you blow me off for this thing. And I feel embarrassment and I feel a little bit of shame. It doesn't mean I need to go hide from that. It means I need to recognize I'm not supposed to feel that way. What is going on in Matt's world that made him blow me off, right? Maybe I hurt your feelings or just I put my hand on a hot stove. Can you imagine if you didn't have pain? Because most of us spend our lives running from pain. Right. What if you didn't feel it? What would happen to your hand when you touch that hot stove? That would, yeah. Your whole hand would burn off until you smelled your own flesh burning. That would be the first sign. Like pain is a blessing. The check engine light that comes on your car is a blessing. And anxiety is a blessing. It is telling you there's something missing. There's information you don't have. There's a skill you don't have. There's knowledge you don't have, right? Now go get it. Now the, the sick mental health part comes in when you're feeling anxiety, but there's no reason for it to be there. Yeah. That's when it's unhealthy, right? Like, why am I feeling pain when I'm just sitting here and nothing's going wrong, like nerve damage or something? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a more complicated issue to diagnose for people right. that just have anxiety attacks over nothing, right? right? But it's just that system of you that's good, the pain system is malfunctioning in some way and needs to be fixed. But the overwhelming time we feel anxiety, that's a good thing. That's our, it's our brain telling us you are not ready for what life's going to throw at you. Yeah. You need, like, let's say you're walking through a dark alley and you're feeling massive anxiety. What if that guy comes to hurt me? You don't just avoid dark alleys. Go to a gym and start training. Go lift a dang totally. weight. Yeah, like do something to build up your confidence so you don't feel that. That anxiety can be a, a guide that can push you in the direction where your life will be better. So good, man. One of my so one of my mentors, you know that I that I kind of go to uh, quite often in a number of different scenarios is Jordan Peterson, right? And mm -hmm. one of the things that I remember him saying is that look, life is suffering. It just it's unavoidable. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There's going to be an element of suffering, and that's just. You know, people can say that's a pessimistic point of view. And he says, I don't look at it that way. I look at it from an optimistic point of view. The optimistic side of me says, yeah, life is absolutely suffering. But luckily, I'm created in a way that I'm enough of a badass to go and I can overcome that. And that's going to make me stronger so that when I face that inevitable suffering again down the road, I can reach back into that cookie jar and move myself forward. You know, that's it. It's, it's taking that is exactly what you said, the perspective of a blessing. You know, we talk in movies and Matrix is one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. Another one of my all-time favorites. It's Fight Club, you know, and I read mm. the book um, first too. And one of the best lines in there, it says, you know, Tyler says, "How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight?" Yeah, the, you know, yeah. It, it's not just how you know. It's not just what am I going to get if I squeeze you? What am I going to get if I squeeze myself? Yep. 
I, you know, I need to put myself into those situations. And just like you said, I mean, bringing that back around full circle. And, and what if everything that you want is right on the other side of getting squeezed, That's right? It. That I remember being 19 and having very strong feelings. I know this is like the fourth time I brought up girls. That's weird. Cause I never yeah. knew that. <laughs> but just really, really liking her and being terrified of telling her that. Cause I knew she didn't like me back and I never wanted to put myself in a position where I didn't know I could win. Right. I did not have confidence. And so I couldn't get out of my chest the truth, which was I really like this person because I knew it wouldn't be reciprocated and I would feel bad about myself and I don't want to be squeezed because yeah. I knew what was in there. It was a lack yeah. of self confidence. It was self hatred from a bad relationship with my dad. It was all beneath there. And I don't want any David juice coming out. So I just avoided yeah. her. And you know what I felt, Matt? Like for six months was massive anxiety. Yep. I ended up having to go to a doctor because I was just sleeping all day long. My skin was breaking out. I had all this anxiety because I didn't want to confront that issue because I don't want to be squeezed. For six months, for six months because you wouldn't pull the trigger. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I pulled the trigger eventually and it was exactly what I thought. It was just as terrible as I thought it would be. I realized I felt very insecure. But what happened is it brought all this ugly out of me that I then could see and say, well, do I want it to stay that way? And now I got to right? fix it. That's yes. It. And now you're it. empowered. Now you know what to go do. Right. You needed to see the David juice. There you go. You needed to get that to come out, man. I yeah, and the, I, and the anxiety was good. I, the anxiety is what drove me to finally just say it, just yep. get it out. And that put me on a path for the rest of my life where I knew I want to be this kind of man instead of that kind of man. And, and God started me walking me through the stages of life that would help me become that. So good. So good, man. And I wish, and I can, you know, I can pinpoint a number of instances mm -hmm. in my own life in every avenue too. I mean, and for me, you know, thankfully or not thankfully, with the girls. I mean, I was 11 and it was Angela Rodriguez, man. Shout out to Angela. <laughs> I can tell you right now, but it was Angela Rodriguez after school, middle school, seventh grade, walked up and I'm like, Hey, you know, and back then it was just like, will you go out with me? Whatever yep. that means, you know, ask that. And she just looks at me and goes, I've got to go. And I was like, Oh yeah, of course you do. No big deal. By the way, hate my life. And I'm yep. you know, like, yep. it was the worst, but that then I got, I got over that, you know, for, again, for better. Or for well, what I would bet Matt is that that feeling of not being enough really bothered you. And it probably fueled you through so many different martial arts training sessions. And so many times you didn't want to go to the gym, right? If you didn't have that fuel, you would never have done the hard things that you've done. Bingo. That's exactly it. There's a reason I remember her name at 40 yes. years old. Right? <laughs> There's a right. reason because it did. And it's that. And then as soon as I, and, you know, and the first time I got KO'd in practice, that yeah. hit me again. The first time I got denied, you know, uh, going for a job that I thought I really wanted and I didn't get picked. The first time, all of those things, all of those things became things that I could go back to later on and go, okay, now I know how to fix myself. And they were all pain. And they were all pain. Yes, that's and that's why you just cannot be afraid of pain. Pain is one of the best things ever. The first time I got in a fight with a suspect in the jail, and he was he trained more than I did, which yeah. I mean was I just you know used to. I was a pretty big, strong guy, yeah. and uh, he knew what to do with a strong guy, and yeah. I didn't know what to do with a trained guy. And yeah. I remember that icy feeling of like legit fear, like yep. oh my god, this guy could like knock me out, take right. my weapons. It was horrible. And I went home and I didn't sleep that night. And the next day I woke up and I just could not stop thinking about it. And that got me in the gym before every single shift working out it got me like in love with defensive tactics and how do i learn more about this so right it was the best thing and all this confidence comes from it so don't so hide good. from pain man you're, you're hiding from your so fuel you good. so good it's literally the reason i still get up and work out right now is because it's not i mean i'm in decent i'm in decent shape i would argue mm -hmm. that i'm for a 40 year old i, I 
I keep myself pretty solid, but it is literally the knowledge that, Hey, someday something may happen. I may be out and I have my wife, I got my kids, I yep. got whatever. And I don't want that primal fear of going, <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I've got them with me. Yep. You know, that literally is what drives me to work out every single day, you know, man, yep. as I've experienced that later on. So talk about the working out. That's a great segue to the next one too. What it, so talk, you're on the upswing. We just talk, you know, it's really, we're really just trying to make the link to, um, you know, physical health and how that links so much to mental health, physical health and how that links to just success in whatever it is that you want to do. So what does that, what does that physical journey look like for you? Well, I, I mean, there's always this feeling that you're supposed to work out. We all know we should, yeah, but that's yeah, usually right, not right, enough to make right. you do it. Right. And, and you'll often get caught up in guilt and shame and I'm just a slug. I need to go do it. Well, that never actually yeah. motivates you to do it. Yeah. So um, I got to where I was working out and I actually had like a, a moment where I was lifting the weights that I, I normally lift and I felt a voice inside. And to me, that's when God's talking to me, but everyone else might have a different way of defining that. And I could hear him saying lift heavier. And I'm like, this is actually kind of heavy. I don't have a spotter. Like I don't want to hurt myself. Right. And it just came again. Like I went to pick up like a 55 pound dumbbell to do a shoulder press. And he was like, I said, heavy. It, it felt like a, a, a authoritative voice. Right. And so I grabbed the 75 and he's like, yeah, I was like, okay. I don't know if this is going to like fall on my head, you know? Yeah. So I did it. And as I was doing it, it was not like a regular workout with the feeling of, I got to get through this. I got to get to 12. I got to get to 15. It hurts. Just get it over with. Instead, it brought out this very intense focus where I had to think and concentrate very hard on the movement I was trying to get my body to do. There was a little bit of fear that I was going to drop that weight. And so I really, really focused. And as I got to near the end of whatever that set was, there was almost like this very primal, angry, animalistic. It wasn't evil, but it yeah. was definitely like a strong sense inside me that, that was coming out. And I'm like, oh, I haven't felt this since I was like a cop, right? Aww. A scary situation. I missed Aww. this. Where has this been? Oh, so good. And I felt him say like, your life just got too easy, dude. Like everything came easy to you. You took over this podcast, your books are bestsellers. You show up, you're, you're the top producing agent, like, but you don't get this feeling when life is easy. And this is you. This is what you miss. You can only get this when the weights are heavy. You need tension. You need the fear that maybe you can't quite do it. And I just was, it was like a lightning bolt hit me. And I was like, that's what's missing. This is why it's hard for me to get up and go to the gym because that animal side is the part that drives me to go do it. And he's been in a cage for a long time. So, so good, man. So it lit good. this fire that I want to go do it. And I yeah. ended up getting a spotter. And once I had a spotter that I was going with, now you can actually push yourself to failure, which is a completely different workout than when yeah. you're just lifting heavier, right. changed everything, right? I don't have a fear of what if I go too hard and I, and I mess up, that's someone that will catch me. Yep. My body started to respond way faster than I thought. I was getting really big gains every single time I went. I was surprised at how much quicker I grew. And as I'm going through this, I'm like, I'm almost like feeling a sense of pride. Like how did I bench press that much? I never thought I'd ever be able to do that as a skinny kid growing up. And I could feel that voice saying, this is what the rest of your life should feel like too. This is what you should be doing in your business. This is what you should be doing in your personal relationships. How many people are you avoiding difficult conversations with because you don't want to feel that pain, right? You need the tension. You need the resistance to bring out the very best of you. And hiding from that was like robbing myself of yeah. <clears throat> the peace that I had being that guy that just yeah. fought really hard. It's just another, it's just another avenue to gain that mental edge that we've been talking yes. about the whole time. You know, I think that's why I love some of the guests that we've got coming, you know, Ryan, uh, Ryan Mickler, um, from order of man, David Goggins, right. Uh, mm -hmm. Erwan LaCour. I mean, a couple of these guys that are immersed in the physical culture. Uh, oh yeah. You know, they're that, 
they always come back to that. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's doing it for the sake of the growth that they feel. You know, There's the something about telling your mind, telling your body, I don't care that it's hard. You're going to do it. Yeah. That gives you the confidence we described about that, that applies very easily to other things in life. So the David Goggins could take with the story I just gave. Okay, amplify it times 100, <laughs> trip all the fat off yeah. of it. And he lives in that place for like 20 hours out of his 24-hour day. For and sure. now he's making a ton of money in business because business doesn't come hard to him once he's made himself do that. And so it's just noise. Yeah, point. the way yep. you train your body to respond will work in the other parts of life. And we tend to think of there's working out and there's work, but they're not, man. They're, they're connected they're and connected. what works in one will flow to the other. So good, so good. So you're talking about the hard work in the gym. You know, I want to talk about kind of that definition of, of hard work. We hear that. That's a buzzword right now is hustle and all this kind yeah. of stuff, right? But we're talking about hard work in general. Um, and when, if you take it from the concept of this, you've got employees. And so if people are coming to work for you and you've got a young person coming to you, how, how are you going to define hard work for them? What is it that you want to see from them? And I, and I preface that with knowing that, you know, as I go and speak to these organizations, um, a lot of what we are dealing with from a cultural standpoint is, um, you know, and a little bit of this has always kind of been this way, but I've got a lot of these CEOs who are telling me, look, man, I'm trying to get these young people coming in and I just don't see their, um, their work ethic. I'm just yeah. not seeing that there. So from, you know, you, from an employer standpoint, what are you wanting to see? How are they able to exemplify hard work for you so that you're going, yeah, I want you as part of my team. The problem is if you ask those young people that the CEOs are saying they're not working hard, they'd say I'm working really I'm working hard, really hard. Yeah. Right? I'm right. giving him everything I got. I'm building his business instead of my own business. What yeah. it really comes down yeah. to is an expectation that each of them has that's very different. Yeah. And each of them would feel upset. So what that means is they need to get the same definition of what hard work means. And yep. if you can get on the same page, there's now there's an expectation that's the same and you won't, you won't be missing. But that's very easier said than done. To me, yeah. when you said, what is hard work? I started thinking, it's not the hours you put in because you could be in the office for 15 hours and do nothing useful that uh, most entrepreneurs fall up into that right. space. Right. And it's not just the grind and being miserable all the time. To me, when hard work is a combination of two things, it's one giving the best you have to give. Right. So if you could go home at the end of the day and say, there's nothing I could have possibly done better for my job or my boss or my goals, uh, then you worked hard. And I don't know that I've ever been able to say that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every workout yeah. I've had, I thought yeah. I could have probably done could've more, done right? Yeah. Yes. Every game I ever played. And it probably fluctuates day to day. That's a very good point too. Sometimes yeah. you didn't get good sleep that night. So right. your very best won't be the same as when you're rested right. and you've had a week off. Right. I learned that from playing basketball. I used to say, I want to play the perfect game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I never did. But yeah. the pursuit of that is what made me always yeah. push harder. Yeah. And the second thing I'd say, this is how you get everybody on the same page is it really doesn't matter what David's idea of hard work is or what Matt's idea of hard work is or what Mike Tyson's idea of hard work is. What matters is what you have to do to be successful at your role or the job, okay? So if your job is to sell somebody's house and you're not very smart about having to do it, maybe you gotta go knock on 400 doors and ask people till you find someone to buy it. That's a lot of work. If you're really smart at your job, it would be um, learning how to market it correctly to get buyers that would come to you and learning how to negotiate the prices higher and getting your client as much money as you can and then moving on to getting the next client because you didn't have to knock on 400 doors so you had more time. Right. But right. The, the millennials that come in and have a, maybe you didn't even say millennials, but I would, that sure. have that attitude of like, I, yeah. I'm already working hard. Yeah. They're not thinking, what do I have to do to be successful? How do I get the company another sale? They're thinking, 
what do I want? What feels comfortable right. to me? And right. you have to suspend that because in that world, it doesn't matter what you want. When you're in that ring, in that cage, fighting with that guy, whatever you think is trying hard really doesn't matter. It's whatever you got to do to not get knocked out and win that fight. Yes. What is and that? That's exactly right. And hard work is giving your best to get to whatever that goal is right and I just I notice this a lot for people that are used to working hourly jobs they think being there is work and anything they're asked to do when they're there is like a bonus mm, <laughs> right but right. being at your job isn't actually working it's not productivity it's not bringing value to anyone so redefine what you, what your job is and if it's to be successful at whatever they hired you to do you're not working hard until you're actually successful at it that's right. And you're bringing value on that. And I yes. love that. That's why. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, uh, I've heard from, from the community is, Oh, you know, I think acting is, is really neat. I think that's great, but I, I don't, um, you know, I don't think that's, it would be necessarily be right for my kid because my, my child is not necessarily going to be an entrepreneur. Everybody there, you know, you're teaching them to be entrepreneurs. And I'm very, I'm the first one to tell you, I don't think the majority of people should be entrepreneurs. Yeah. I really don't. Um, I don't think that's just like, I don't think the majority of people should play in the NFL, right? Like, I just yep. don't think that's the case. Um, but I think everybody benefits from the entrepreneurial mindset because it's exactly what you said. It's learning to see the world and go, okay, how do I provide value? Where is the most efficient next step? And whether that's for me and my own business, whether that is for my family, whether that is for my employer, there's always value to thinking in that way. How do I provide yes. value to the others around me? And then of course, as an entrepreneur, even then, you know, hard work, you're, that's great. The market doesn't care. The market is the market is the market. And you are responsible to what your customer base is saying they need to you're providing value to them and you've got to take that into account you know that's always the end goal yes I, I just had a conversation with our mutual friend kyle ranke about yeah. uh, the real estate team right he's an agent yeah. on my team now yeah. technically i'm the entrepreneur i'm the business owner and he works mm -hmm. for me right but if you look at the last three months my company lost money three months in a row mm -hmm. kyle made money for three months in a row yeah. so who is in a better position you right. know, you don't have to be what we would call the entrepreneur, the business owner or right. whatever to benefit from adding value and understanding business principles that, that he uses that, that we've learned from being in business. He's just playing a different role and his role is better. It's very, very possible. Like when I was a waiter in restaurants, I made more in tips than the manager who managed us all made for his salary. Right. He was 20 years older than me. He had way more authority. He was my boss. I had the better job. I didn't yeah. have the pressure to have the responsibility. I had complete freedom to just go crush it at what I did. And, and learning the skills we're talking about is what would have made me good at that. So you don't have to be the business owner to benefit from understanding the stuff you're teaching. People. For sure. I know so many, I know, you know, business owners as well, that maybe the, the business itself, you know, doesn't have uh, the, the best year. And so they will rightfully so take their own pay down of it, but their people crushed it and yep. their people are getting paid, you know, and I know a lot of managers, especially in sales, man, a lot of guys, there's sales guys that are going out and just crushing it. And the managers of those salespeople, the ones that have all the pressure, they're the ones having to answer to, you know, answer to the board, answer mm -hmm. to whoever, and they're not making anywhere near it's a, it's a different game. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. you don't, and not everybody has to be the quote unquote entrepreneur, but you do right. have to understand how to bring value, bring value. I love yeah. that. I think that's really good. Um, so our next question goes back to the gentleman that we were that we were talking about earlier. And again, now I've got almost this complex now talking about Jocko because I'm like, crap, am I a fan? <laughs> am I a fanboy on this dude? I really don't want to, you know, I really don't want that to be the case. But um, you know, so this is one of our our rules, you know, is that discipline equals freedom, and that comes straight from him, right? So um, yep. 
talking about discipline and, and getting results and being disciplined to learn how to provide value. What is a, a habit, something that you are developing discipline around that you personally maybe don't really like, and it's something maybe you had to develop discipline around or that you're maybe working on that right now that you don't really love, but you know you need to do it. It's scheduling meetings with people to go over my expectations. Ooh. I don't like it. I always say, Hey, can you do this for me? And I never want to give them a, a deadline. Cause yeah. they're like, when do you need yeah. it by? And I'm like, just do as fast as you can. I don't yeah, want to, right. Yeah. Get it as, <laughs> back to me. And yeah. other people don't work that way. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, the reason that we lost money for three months is that I wasn't working a ton, which it was fine. Cause I had enough money saved up. I didn't need to be, I just assumed that everybody else would be doing what they were doing when I was there and that money would keep rolling in. And when I actually looked at it, I'm like, Oh, whoa. What happened here? Yeah. And the minute you start meeting with people or somewhat routinely and they know David's going to be asking me about this, yeah. it makes it a lot easier for them to go do the thing they're supposed to be doing. Sure. So I, having to schedule, we are going to meet twice a week. We're going to talk about this and this is what I want to see. I don't like having to do that. I like to just believe you're going to do it on your own, but it's required at this point to get, to get that consistency that you need. And that's like the biggest thing I've been forcing myself to do. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. And I don't know if, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about it? Is that kind of an, uh, almost a side, because I like to think there's a, a really is kind of a DNA to a natural entrepreneur. I think anybody can learn how to do it, but I think there's a DNA for kind of going above and beyond somebody that's got kind of a natural talent to that. And I have found um, a lot that a lot of the entrepreneurs I've dealt with, I think have a very similar kind of thing. We just assume, because I've done, you yep. describe that, that's me too. I know that. I know that for sure. I'm just going to, hey, my staff's going to handle it. Like, they've got it covered. They know what's yep. going on. Um, but it doesn't always pan out like that, you know? And then I've noticed that trend in a lot of, do you think that's kind of an inherent trait? Yeah, I do. I, because I think it's kind of like, if you look at players on an NFL football team, yeah. the wide receivers more or less have very similar bodies. They're kind of tall and they're kind of slender and they run fast. So they can yeah. jump high. Yeah. The running backs are going to be shorter and stockier, stockier and faster. The yeah. offensive linemen, they all kind of look the same, right? Yeah. Now yeah. you could get an offensive lineman built like a wide receiver. It's possible. It rarely ever happens at a yeah. high level. Yeah. So what you find is like the guys in our role, the visionaries that push everything forward, those minutia, just they're like sand in our eyeball it just irritates us right oh it's a great way to put it but the people who are good with that that are amazing managers of humans they're yeah. terrified of being the person that has to be the visionary and decide where the whole thing's going to go yeah. they yeah. don't like that role right? right so i try to just remind myself of like when someone else isn't behaving the way i want them to behave well if they were they would be the guy competing with me to start the business they wouldn't be working right. for me right, right. and uh, and that's why i just have to accept i don't like meetings but I got to do them. So the way I overcame it is I would never set the meeting. Yeah. I just told my assistant, schedule the meeting, put it on my calendar for twice a week to me to talk to this person twice a week to talk to that person. And so I, I know that I will hold my word if it's on my calendar. I will not flake on something that's scheduled. And that was what I had to do to force myself to be disciplined. Super smart, man. Super smart. I love that. Um, I like this. So we're getting to my favorite question of this and of the entire thing. Um, this is the one I look forward to asking people the most. So what is a piece of common knowledge? And when I say this, we can talk culturally or we can talk specifically in, in you know, the industry that you work in to looking at real estate, investment, whatever. Um, what is a piece of common knowledge that everybody knows, but it's absolutely wrong? Ooh, that's a really good one. Isn't that a good one? I love that's that. A, it's yeah. by far my favorite one. This is something everybody, and so again, can be related to your business or not, but something that everybody knows, this is the way things are, but it's, you don't think it's correct. Yeah, that's really, really good. I'm trying to think of how I would articulate it. One of the things I found is that most people 
believe if you're going to do something right, you got to do it yourself. That's a really big one. Mm, yeah. Um, and that's not often the case. In fact, a lot of the time getting someone else to do things that I'm not good at was the best thing that I could yeah. have done, right? Yeah. To get out of my way. Another one, ooh, this is a good one. There's a saying that the way you do something is the way you do anything. Or you do one thing is the way you do everything, right? And you hear that a lot in, in, in environments where they're trying to get you to give your best all the time. Yeah. And there is some value to hearing that as a influential person, right? Like you're in boot camp, you're in the academy, you're being trained. You do need to take care of your uniform the same way you would take clean your weapon to keep it safe if you're in combat, okay? But yeah. when you're a sniper and you're staring at the enemy in the scope, okay? If your shoes are not super shiny, it that's not the best use of your time to be focusing <laughs> on that. Does that yeah, make sense? True story. Yeah, so you yeah. hit a certain point in business where you have to understand, I cannot do everything perfectly. There's certain things that have to be good enough and there's other things that it's really, really, really important that yeah. I get this part right. And being able to make that adjustment from I'm establishing a work ethic where I, I, I do everything the best I can to I have the wisdom to now decide what are the things that really matter and what are the things that just get it done and get it out of the way. Yeah, so good, man. I love that. Um, you mean it's so good. So somebody that I used to work, and you know, I'm gonna put it out there. So Ken Ken Shamrock, one of the OGs of, yeah, of mixed martial yeah. arts, right? So um, you know, working with with Ken and going through the whole lines, then try out and all of this, and it was very much that concept. Look, the way you do this is the way you're gonna fight. So we are going to just physically and mentally break you down. And by the way, we're gonna do it over and over and over yeah. and over right and then i go and it was kind of this juxtaposition because then i moved to the bay area and i'm working with frank shamrock out of san jose working with ken's brother right and frank's like look sometimes yeah you got to push yourself hard that way but the whole goal of this is to be able to compete in the first place if you're and if you're exhausted how can you're yeah. exhausted you're not going to do anything and if you're continuously getting punched to the head yeah there's a lot of bad results that come up from that too when you're in the fight you shouldn't be just going hey let's just you know, drag yeah. it out and see how many times I can take a blow. He's like, that's a lot of long-term, you know, so that's, that's not the smart way to approach it. You know, two different, uh, two different tactical approaches for sure. But um, yeah, it's exactly right. Like in the police world. Yeah. I technically should do my very best with everything I'm doing. And let's say I'm taking a report for a stolen bicycle seat yeah. that we are never going to see again, a yeah. $15 bike seat. There's literally no way to, even if I found the seat to know who it yep. belongs to, yep. right. I could take a very, very long time to investigate that case, or I could make sure I did what I'm supposed to do. It's documented. The person feels better. And then I go look for a bad guy. To arrest, you know, <laughs> best, best use yeah. And, and when you're a business owner, you're always thinking what is the highest and best use of my time or even when you're working in a business right yeah. if you're a salesperson for me yes technically you could be answering every single email that's in your inbox yeah. the best that you can i'd rather that you just fired it off so you don't seem rude and then get on the phone to find the next client right okay. or solve another problem yeah best use of time i love that that was really good uh, so these last couple are pretty fun. So what is something that, you know, again, we want to, we're getting things from operators that are, that are out there. And there's this perception, I think with a lot of the youngsters that we talk to that, man, these are the people who have it figured out by it. That means everything, yeah. right? They have it all figured out. So I always like to bring some, and we talked about the humility aspect to it. So um, what's something you want people to know you're really not good at? Oh, that's, there's, there's a lot we can talk about. Yeah. With this. In fact, it might be Matt. The only thing I am good at is admitting what I'm not good at. Not and good that's at. how I became awesome. successful. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm terrible with remembering like scheduling stuff, right? I, I yeah. my biggest fear is you'll say, Hey David, we should get together for lunch. Are you free Wednesday? And I'll look, yeah, I am. 
I get anxiety immediately. <laughs> yeah. If I don't email my assistant and say, yeah. schedule this thing with Matt for this day, I yeah. won't remember. And I just had to accept it. Like yeah. I hurt so many people's feelings, friends of mine. They're like, Hey, can we yeah. talk? I know you're busy. Oh yeah. I'm never too busy for you. And then I totally forgot I was supposed to call that guy. So I just had to like admit there's not Ram in my brain. It's okay yeah. that I don't know it. It's okay. I'm not good at this. It's not okay. If I don't have a, a system or a method to get over to it. Take care of it. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing I'm terrible at. Another thing um, would be, what's the best way to describe this without sounding as bad as it could sound? <laughs> if, like in a real estate transaction, I would much rather solve the problem of what's wrong than call the client and explain to them what I just did. Yeah. One of them involves a ton of empathy and understanding and patience, and I can do it, but it drains me having to explain this to you. I would much rather be in the very difficult situation of having to actually go fix the problem, like when the pressure. It was just like that as a cop. I heard gunshots. There's a foot pursuit. Someone wants to kill somebody. I'm happy. I'm like, yes, finally, there's a reason that I exist. I, I get to go, yeah. yeah. You make me sit at a traffic collision and measure off that the, the left rear tire was 14 feet from the southwest corner of Boulevard and Blah. Oh, my gosh. I just hated that, right? Like, my, my brain needs yeah. new stuff, new problems, new things to filter. And if you make me just stare at nothing but small details, I will wander. I won't be able to stay focused. That's yeah. another thing. I'm just, I'm not good at it all. You know, and I love that. And I want, I want, I think that's a great message because a lot of times what we're, you know, what we're telling our kids is that, man, if you're not able to just sit here for eight hours a day, you know, and a bell is going to ring to allow you to move from one room to the next, but then you're going to sit yeah. there. And if you're not, if you're not excited to just have these details that, you know, you could just do a Google search and you'd be done with this. Right. But if you don't, if you're not okay with sitting there and having these details crammed down your throat, regurgitating it, us something's wrong with you we need medication you know and we're telling yeah. our kids that over and over and we're telling them that earlier and earlier and earlier um, but i think a lot of our kids are like you they're like man i just want to i want to do the thing well that's the rest of the world's training their brain to operate quicker right they're watching yeah. tv they're seeing stuff on the internet you could get an answer really fast there's tons of things you can learn like there's a skill of learning how to learn that we don't talk about very often like yeah. there's the ability to learn new things is actually something to learn that's and I, I remember being in school and the worst thing for me would have been when we did group reading, I was a really fast reader as a kid. My mom taught me how to read at a young age. I love to read. I read everything that I could get my hands on. And you have to sit there and wait for the kid who struggles to fight his way through. And I couldn't, I could not make myself focus. I'd read ahead. And then it gets to be my turn and I'm like three pages ahead. Where, yeah, where There's this you? anxiety yeah. like, oh yeah. shoot, where I'm, yeah. trying, I'm going yeah. back. How far back was I? And that was the, the worst. And, and I had to get through that. But you're right. I would have been so much better if they would have said, hey, David, you're assigned to read this thing and write this paper on what you just read. And I could do it at my own speed, get done. And then maybe I go help the kid who's struggling with reading. I maybe like teach him whatever's going on, right? I would have been so much better for building my confidence than just making me sit there through that whole process. So good, man. So true. So true. And you're right. The ability to learn is a big deal. The ability to unlearn is becoming yeah. more and more applicable. As oh, well. that's big. You know what I mean? Because we're having so, there's so much turnover in the, in the use of technology, the information. I mean, there are so many different things that we're going to have to just, okay, I know how to do this, but I'm going to need to discard that because now this is more relevant. You yeah. know, we've got to be, we've got to be ready to do that. Past generations didn't have to deal with that as much, um, but that is something we've got. Because things change at a slower pace in past generations. So fast now. So our yeah. kids got to be ready for the, it. The, the change is happening a lot quicker. So, good. so, I mean, there's a lot of value there just like to hold everything you learn with the loose hand yeah. you know i think in like 15 yeah. 20 years maybe less like people will wonder why we were driving cars like are you kidding me 
Yeah. You are in control of that thing. So you're on a freeway going 80 miles an hour with another car one foot away from you and one half move of your hand would have killed you and they let yeah. you guys do that. They let like, you do that. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. That's what we did. But the skill of driving won't matter. Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing is you have to be able to understand like I'm learning this skill. It serves me in this way. I will have to let it go and learn something new and just to accept that and be okay with it instead of resisting it. Totally. Gosh, so good, man. So good. That's so good for everybody. Um, last, last two, and this one's just kind of a, a, the catch all that they wanted to put in. So any kind of final piece of advice, you've got a 13 to 22 year old son that's right in front of you. Any last piece of advice for him or her? Yeah, I got, here's, I know when I was in like 18 through 24, I was feeling massive anxiety because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was the kind of guy who was very competitive. I always liked to be the best. I wanted to get a head start. I was very mature for my age. Yep. And I was like, put me on the path I want to go on and just let me get ahead of everybody else. But I couldn't find that path. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I wasted a lot of energy worrying about something that I couldn't actually solve. Yep. And so I would say, like, give yourself permission to say, it's okay that I don't know what I want to do, but it's not okay to not do my best at whatever I'm doing. So when I finally just let go, I was working at a restaurant. I said, well, hey, let me be the manager. And I learned how to be the manager. And I realized, well, I made more money in tips. So I went back to working as a waiter. But I was a better waiter because I understood the manager's perspective. I learned a lot more about the inner workings of a restaurant. Yeah. And then I eventually found out I wanted to be a cop. But the things that I was learning before I was a cop actually helped me when I got into the academy. So I was very glad that I had given my best. So let go of the idea that you know what's best for your life and that you, you, you're supposed to know that at 20 years old, 21 years old, where you're going to go. You don't, but you can control whatever skills that you're building that will work when you hit like whatever that thing is that you're supposed to do. So true, man. And I, you know, and I try to, and it's a hard thing to impart on a youngster because, and I do, I remember feeling the same. I remember feeling the same way, 18, 19 thinking, Oh my gosh, I need to have it figured out. And yeah. then you realize now, you know, I realize now at 40 that a lot of my peers at 40 years old still feel like they have no idea what they're going to do. And I talk to CEOs that are 50 and 55 and they're going, ah, I'm still kind of figuring it out. You know, it's, it's, it, you just need to move forward. I, I know back then I was very worried about like saving as much money as I could, which was yeah. good. You should yeah. be saving money, right? Yeah. But I look back at the jobs that I had at like Togo's or Baskin Robbins or like menial type things that the value I got out of them was what I learned about being responsible and working and doing a good job. But the money itself meant nothing. I make more money in a month than I probably did in legit two years of working. Of my sure. life, right. Yeah. So I wish that instead of working every hour that I could back then, I would have worked because you should be working and doing your best. But I had focused way more on reading, on interning, on learning about what other industries are like right? Like what do, what do real estate agents do? What are loan brokers do? What do construction guys do? Just letting myself have permission to go explore and learn what other people do without being re irresponsible. I don't want to just like not do anything, of course. but that $6 an hour that I was working my whole weekend to make, it ended up being nothing yep. with where I ended up in life. So that's another thing I would tell people is that work, do your very best, but understand that whatever you're doing right now, unless you invest that money incredibly prudently, isn't really going to impact your life as much as what you could be learning during this time. So good. Go taste things, man. Go taste. Yeah, there you go. Go taste. I love that. All right. So, hey, the very, the very last question is who else would you nominate to be on here? Who else should people follow and who else should these kids, you know, uh, look to, to, to hear from and who can we invite on 
onto this podcast that will uh, provide the same amount of, it's going to be hard to provide the same amount of value as I think we got here, but I would, you know, who else would you recommend? Yeah. Ben Kinney is a real estate agent with Keller Williams. Ben Kinney. He's, he owns a lot of different businesses. Uh, he is one of the guys I look up to a lot. The stuff we're talking about is something that he spent a lot of time. He has an amazing story that he grew up in like the backwoods of Eastern Washington, eating food out of a can, living without running water with, with his father. Very, very poor. Uh, got a job as a guy that would call and sell cable to people on the phone just that was his only opportunity. So he wow. would just call hundreds of people a day to sell. He got a chance to be a real estate agent. He just did everything that someone said, Hey, here's the blueprint, go do this. He did it faithfully. And now he's a multi, 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 multi-millionaire yeah. who doesn't strike you right away as like a brilliant mind. He is, he doesn't come across that way, yeah. but he's one of those people you meet and you're like, well, if Ben could do this, like who has an excuse yeah. not to. And, and it's because he has a deep fuel. He yeah. went through pain when he was young that drove him to do what he's doing now. And Ben's one of those guys that gets the very most out of what he's got. That's what I respect about him the most. I think he'd I have a lot that. of value to add. I love that. Those are the kind of human beings we want to see. That's awesome, man. David, could not thank you enough, man, for taking time out of this to pour into the youth. That's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it was exciting for me to sit down and get to talk mm-hmm. to you because I know what kind of guy you are. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And I'm taking a bunch away from this too, man. So thank you so much for taking the time. It's a big honor, man. Really is. Thanks, Matt. You did a really good interview. This is probably the most fun I've had in a very long time. Awesome, man. I'm glad to. And I hope we get to see you again soon, man. Have you on campus and, um, you know, come be here and anything we can do to help you too. Please say the word, man. Absolutely. You got it, man. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. So there you have it, folks. That is Mr. David Green. What a fun conversation that was, man. Give him a follow. You want to go to David Green. That's D-A-V-I-D-G-R-E-E-N-E-24. That is his IG handle, and that's where you want to follow him there. And he drops a lot of truth bombs on on that on a daily basis, too. So you want to give that a shot. And then uh, if you're interested, grab those books to uh, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, Repeat, and Sell Your Home for Top Dollar. All of those are great reads, uh, whether you're looking at just buying a house for yourself or if you really want to start taking a look at um, creating some passive income. And, and then again, the Bigger Pockets podcast. Uh, there's a reason it's the number one real estate podcast in the world. You definitely want to give that a listen. I know that's one of my brother's absolute favorites. Definitely one of my favorites. Uh, so that's where you want to go to follow David. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.